What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. It's Monday, January 10th. I'm Oscar Ramirez from the Daily Dive podcast in Los Angeles, and this is Reopening America. For the first time in nearly 50 years, the number of dialysis patients shrunk, not because more people were healthy, but because COVID struck. People with kidney failure and the associated illnesses are more prone to severe infection, but many people also neglected getting their treatments during the pandemic. And despite dialysis centers implementing COVID precautions, some facilities didn't follow their own infection control policies. Dua Eldeeb, reporter at ProPublica, joins us for how dialysis patients were the pandemic's perfect victims and how few people took notice. Thanks for joining us, Dua. Thanks for having me on. I want to talk about an interesting article you wrote for ProPublica about the pandemic's perfect victims. We're talking about dialysis patients. You know, so we, we know already that people with comorbidities, obviously, usually get the worst effects of COVID-19. You know, it affects them in a lot of different ways. But for those that are on dialysis, there's so many complicated things that go into it. You know, having to go to a dialysis center, obviously the comorbidities that go with, you know, having to be on dialysis itself. And what we ended up seeing as, you know, more and more people get diabetes and get these things that, you know, need this type of treatment. Through the pandemic, we had so many deaths of dialysis patients that the total number of them actually shrank for the first time in nearly half a century, which is just incredible to think of it that way, is that the only reason why that number shrank is because so many of them died. So Dua, tell us a little bit about what we're seeing with all this. You're exactly right, and it's quite devastating. You know, when I started reporting on this, I knew very little about dialysis or the potential effects that the pandemic could have on them. And the more I learned about it, the more shocking it was. You know, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of people were able to delay care. You know, they didn't go into the hospital for elective procedures. They didn't leave their homes if they could help it. But dialysis patients just didn't have that option. So for people, you know, when I started, like I said, I didn't know much about dialysis. But basically, these are patients who have end-stage renal disease, which means that their kidneys are so damaged. They can't filter the toxins in their blood, so they have to go be on like uh, dialysis, have a dialysis machine, actually clear their blood, cleanse their blood from those toxins. And most patients who go to a facility and most dialysis patients do in-center dialysis, you know, have to go there three times a week and they stay for three to four hours. And a lot of patients take public transportation, some kind of medical van transportation, There's, you know, get their... They go with strangers, and once they're there, they're there with multiple people in a large room, so they can't self-isolate. And they were doing this three times a week at the very beginning of the pandemic, and they're already immunocompromised because of their end-stage renal disease. So it's just multiple layers of risk for these people who are just trying to get this life-saving treatment. One of the stats that really shocked me when I saw it was that the rate of COVID hospitalizations of dialysis patients early on the 
pandemic was 40 times higher than the general population. I think that there tells you all you need to know about how risky it was. Yeah, you know, I actually have a friend who was a nurse in a dialysis center, and a lot of the stories that we would talk about ring perfectly true and in accordance with what you wrote in your article and just kind of the difficulty. You know, you were talking about the treatment and how they have to report three times a week to get their treatments and all. And one of the big results is a lot of people started dropping off. They started skipping their treatments uh, because of the difficulties you laid out, right? Um, you know, the transportation, having to sit around with a bunch of people. And that was one of the main things that that my friend saw and he would tell me about too, just dropouts. People just wouldn't report. And then, you know, they come in a few days later, a few days late, and they're doing really bad at that point. You know, why this treatment is just such a life-saving treatment is because they have to get it. They can't go. These patients, you know, can't miss more than two or three sessions, you know, sometimes even one session before things turn really bad, before the fluid builds up in their body, before the toxins take over. And so, you know, I, I ran earlier in the year about how the pandemic had really affected cancer screening and cancer diagnoses, and people were delaying going to get their, you know, annual mammograms or just their regular checkups for cancer. And that was devastating. The national organization that tracks cancer health was expecting an increase over the next decade of 10,000 excess deaths because of people who had delayed care and who weren't coming in to get their screenings. What the dialysis population saw was an increase of 18,000 deaths just last year alone in excess deaths, so deaths that they weren't expecting because of the pandemic. And like you said, a big part of that was they weren't able to go and they were too afraid of going in and, and contracting the, the virus. There was one story that a doctor told me in California that just broke my heart. It was a, you know an older patient who went to the hospital because he had difficulty breathing. Doctors diagnosed him with end-stage renal disease. And they said, look, like you need to come in for dialysis three times a week. And he was really hesitant. But once he realized that this is what's going to save his life, he agreed. But his wife was also at home and she had cancer. He was taking care of her and he was so afraid to leave her, so afraid to get COVID and come back and give it to her that he would skip his treatments once and then twice. And then finally, you know, he skipped it too many times that he died. You know, one of the things that you explore in the article is about how few people really took notice of what was happening to these dialysis patients. Obviously, everybody was concerned with a lot of other stuff. You know, we're in this pandemic a few years now. So now we have some data that's built up and we can kind of go back and see what was happening. But one of the things that really impacted a lot of this, too, was the effect on the facilities themselves. You know, investigations by the federal government dropped, you know, a lot of personnel issues, you know, uh, delays because of the pandemic. I, you know, I get all that stuff, but there's, you know, a lot of complaints that were happening at these facilities inspections were going down, lack of funding, you know, all of this stuff kind of contributed to this. You're right again. I mean, and I think that's something that like, you know, we haven't really focused on. And when you look at these facilities, you know, I will say that what I heard over and over is that dialysis facilities were quick to mask and to screen patients. They put in kind of screening and isolation protocols early on in the pandemic so that people who were suspected or confirmed to have COVID were treated in, you know, either a separate shift or, you know, a specially designated clinic just for these. But 
there were still some facilities that didn't follow their own infection control policies. You know, they weren't washing their hands properly. They weren't keeping workers home and sick. They weren't disinfecting equipment. And those are just the facilities that we know about. But like you said, you know, the federal officials are behind on their inspection. So they're two years overdue on more than 5,000 inspections at dialysis facilities. They're three years behind on more than 3,000. And what we found is that since the start of last year, the number of inspections across the board at dialysis facilities fell by 30%. So it just makes you wonder, what else do we not know? Yeah. Uh, you know, going back to my friend who who's a nurse at a dialysis center, you know, he would talk to me about some of the difficulties they had, too, in following some of those policies, even for the patients themselves, right? You know, mask wearing is mandatory, but, you know, they get uncomfortable. And when you're sitting there getting dialysis for a few hours, it's tough. And so he'd say, you know, sometimes uh, patients would take their masks off. Sometimes they'd show up sick and you know, then they'd have to go through that process of refusing them care. You know, they'd have to report to a hospital so they can get their treatments. So, you know, just stories of how difficult it was to navigate all that. And so the next question is, how do we fix a lot of this stuff? We spend a lot of federal money on this through Medicare. The spending is, you know, is very high in all this stuff. But what do we, what are they looking for to, to how to remedy some of these things? That's a great question. I wish I had an answer to. Yeah, I mean, Medicare spends, you know, more than $50 billion on patients with end-stage renal disease. Uh, It's an outsized portion of of their budget, but we're still having so much death, so much illness. And, you know, a lot of dialysis patients, you know, they, they basically are on dialysis until, you know, their hope is to get a kidney transplant. But that's only 30% of the total ESRD population, patients with end-stage renal disease, were able to get a kidney transplant. And, you know, one of the problems, one of the main problems is racial disparities. You see that in who is more likely to advance to end-stage renal disease, who is less likely to get a transplant, who is less likely to even be on home dialysis. And, you know, as I'm sure you can guess, these are, you know, Patients of color, black patients, Latino patients are the ones who are less likely time and time again. So I think, you know, it starts with addressing those disparities. One of the kind of beacons of hope that I'm hearing from people is home dialysis, which isn't, you know, it's, you know, by no means easy, but it is at least, you know, what I'm hearing kind of a hopefully a more convenient way for patients to receive dialysis. A lot of them can receive it at home while they're sleeping. But again, the disparities there are really bad. And so federal officials are trying to address that. They're trying to increase reimbursement. They passed an initiative, you know, back in 2019 to try to address this. So I mean, I think that's that's something on the board that they're working toward, but it's going to take time. I think, you know, more immediately, especially with, you know, the new variant is boosters. One of the epidemiologists that I spoke to was saying that, you know, he really hopes that if another round of boosters are approved, that dialysis patients are prioritized because when the first, you know, vaccines came out, it took three months before they were delivered to dialysis facilities. And that's where, like we said, patients are going three times a week. So if you want to get them boosted, take it to their places of treatment. So I think that's something to to consider as well. Yeah, well, we're going to be hearing a lot more of these types of things as we keep progressing through the pandemic. We get more data about what happened during all this time. And as you mentioned, Few people were really noticing what was happening here in this situation. So I suggest everybody read Dua's piece. There's a lot of details in there. 
we couldn't get to. Dua LD, reporter at ProPublica, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for caring about this issue and for having me on. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this has been Reopening America. Don't forget that for today's big news stories, you can check me out on the Daily Dive podcast every Monday through Friday. So follow us on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcast. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from Brain MD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.